Hey, this is the Brains Podcast. I'm Julian Shapiro. And I'm Cortland Allen. Today we're talking money with a couple of friends, Anthony Pompliano and Sam Parr. Both of these guys have amassed substantial fortunes at a young age and the multiple tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. This conversation is not financial advice, especially not for the average person. Rather, our goal is to get into the minds of a couple of rich people, to share some strong opinions about how we make and manage our money, and to have some fun while we're at it. Uh, I think I'm the only one, or no, Pomp, you're married. Uh, I married a woman that is also uh, getting after it. And that is one of the best secrets ever because when I didn't have a lot of cash, she did, or at least more than I did. Yeah, if I'm remembering correctly, she made a ton of money off of the Airbnb IPO, right? Yeah, and she also um, like had a, a much higher salary than me for a long time. The voice you're listening to belongs to Sam Parr. You're going to hate me for asking this. What was the prenup situation like? Uh, nothing. Same. No prenup. To... Uh, to quote our to, to quote Ari Gold, I'll kill my wife before I get a divorce. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> no, we I, I didn't get one. You didn't get a prenup pump? Never even was a conversation. Really? Never was a conversation for me either. Are you Catholic? Uh I grew up uh going to Catholic church, but it wasn't uh you know, I haven't been to church in <laughs> probably too long. Dude, blood in, blood out. If you're in, you're in. And yeah. I was raised Catholic as well. And like the the idea of a divorce, it didn't even have that. It, it wasn't even the conversation. This is fascinating to me because I would 100% get a prenup if I were to get married. No somebody once asked. told me. Somebody once told me who's married and doesn't have a prenup. They said uh, uh, they're very, very like nine figures wealthy, and they were like, uh, "Yeah, you know, I have like a fifty plus million dollar uh, stupidity tax on the way out if I do something stupid." So like, mm. you know. Like almost like he had it like, hey, and it was a weird way for him to say it, but like he, he said it. And I was just like, okay, uh, you know, m- maybe you just don't get divorced because you love your wife, but sure. The voice you're listening to belongs to Anthony Pompliano. Yeah, maybe it's like a way to keep you honest. Well, look, that like, wasn't my the, reason. I don't know about Sam. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I didn't even because I didn't even think about like many experts would say that I'm in, I'm foolish for not doing it. Um, getting a prenup, it really like we maybe we had the conversation, but it was like not even. It was like, hey, I don't want to. It was like I don't want to get a prenup to you. There's also an element I think. Uh, what's the Jay Z line? Uh, what's better than one billionaire too? Of like, if you marry the right person, uh, who who says that you're the gonna one that's gonna be giving shit up, right? Like, <laughs> I, I I don't know. There's this like very very weird uh, dynamic to it. So I, I don't know. When, times times are changing. You, when you buy, so you invested 90% of your net worth or something pump into Bitcoin or something like that, uh, like that you're very public about it. Did you ask your lady about it? We were like, hey, are you, you're, are you on board with this? Um, so there's like three pieces to it. Uh, a lot of people, I, well, I mean, maybe, maybe not as many people now, but uh, when somebody says they have that much of their net worth in Bitcoin or crypto, it's like, oh, I bought really early and it just like grew a bunch. And mm-hmm. you know, now it's like this huge piece. Uh, that was not me. Like I, you know, in 2016 was the first time I ever did anything. I thought I missed the whole thing. Uh, in 2018 is when I made the first like really big move. I put 50% of my net worth uh, into Bitcoin in December of 2018. Um, and there was definitely like a conversation, but we were just dating at the time. And it was more so like, hey, I'm about to do this like really crazy thing. You know, like, let's see what happens. Here's my logic, you know, more so like, do you think I'm as crazy as I probably think I am, but I'm still going to do it uh, more so than like, you know, are you cool with this? Um, but in March of 2020, uh, we were like a month away from getting married. And I was like, all right, they're going to just print money until they can't 
like literally like the printer breaks, uh, I'm going to like go all in and I'm basically going to put everything else in. And, uh, so we had a conversation about it, but the funny part was, I think it was March 12th of 2020 Bitcoin fell 50% in a single day. And like, it felt like 20% in the morning. I was like, ah, nice. Bought some. And it felt like, you know, another bit. I was like, nice. Bought more. When it got down like around $4,000, I was fucking curled up on the couch like a little bitch. And I was like, man, like, am I about to watch this thing go to zero right before? You know, like it just, yeah. I mean, it's like extreme volatility. And she looked at me and she goes, what do you mean? Like, you're all in already. Like, buy more. And I was like, <laughs> okay. That's, that's <laughs> like, when you knew she was the one. Yeah, like no, nothing like just getting like taunted by, you know, your, your fiance <laughs> of like, like how much do you believe? So uh, I tell her all the time, like, you know, I, I don't know who knows what I would have done if she hadn't been there, but I bought more and it was a great decision, you know, given the fact that it's at, you know, fucking $50,000 today. I, uh, whenever we make decisions, I, I, I'm like, if it's like a, a fairly big decision, I like discuss it with Sarah. Um, and it's mostly, it's kind of the same thing. She's actually probably more aggressive than I am. I don't, we, I don't, I don't, I'm not in your world pomp. I don't know much about crypto, but she's like, Hey, let's buy, uh, and she'll say like a number. And, it's a, and I think it's a fair amount. And, uh, like, for example, when Ethereum was like a thousand, she's like, let's buy like $150,000 worth. And I'm like, that's nuts. And she's like, just do it. And we did it. And it's right. I don't know what it is today, but it's up. And, uh, and I, she's like, we should have done more. I wanted to do more. And I didn't listen to her. And she, she was right. Would you ever turn a hundred percent of your portfolio over to, uh, to your wife? I would. I would definitely. Um, because, yeah, I think I would. Would of course you would, right? Yeah. I, I, what I think I would do is I would uh, I would turn it over, but I would do the same role that she plays for me. Like I would play for her, which is almost like I, I'm convinced. Also, like an individual, regardless of whatever bullshit history tells us, there's nobody who can manage a portfolio perfectly by themselves. They always have like some random person. It could be like the old man down the street that sits on the park bench and they just like randomly talk to them. But like, there's always like something else that keeps you like emotionally grounded because we're all just humans and we succumb. Well, there's the, uh, there's the book. What's it called? The man who solved the market, the Renaissance guy, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, uh, uh, Jim, um, Simons. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the book, there's a, a story that he tells where the market drops for a lot, by a lot. And he called his, he had a financial advisor and he called him and he goes, sell, sell, sell. And the financial guy goes, dude, chill, relax and don't do this. Like, this is just how the world works. You don't need to freak out. And he talked him out of selling and it worked out. And so even that guy had, had someone that, that he refers to. And he's, you know, they're the best hedge fund in the world. I think a big part of it is just having a second person who's not enthralled by the narrative. Like I get really stoked on a narrative if the pitch was good, if the deck was compelling, if, if my friends have gone in. But if someone else sits next to me and they're like, I don't give a shit about any of these prior factors. I'm just looking at this, this deal and it looks like crap. It really helps, like cuts through like a knife. So that goes a long way. Um, yeah, just being dispassionate goes such a long way. I, f I forget who it was, I think it was David Sachs who just had some speech or a threat or something. And he's like, I need to figure out a way to invest where I don't even know what the narrative is anymore. They just give me the numbers. They give me the revenue growth rate or the traction from customer acquisition. Uh, I know the TAM. Uh, I know a few other details. And then I'll make a, most of my decision off that. 
but do you guys are you maybe you're different pomp because you're you i mean i i mean, I don't know if the my perception of you is the reality but i perceive you as like doing a lot of like making a lot of decisions but do you guys actually make trades actively i mean i don't really do anything other than like occasionally we bought crypto and then i just own like hubspot airbnb and then an index fund and that's it yeah i i don't trade at all um and i'm a big believer in deep concentration um I just had a conversation with uh, William Green, the guy who wrote Richer, Wiser, Happier. And yeah. like one of the themes of that book is he talks to all the best investors and like, he's like, hey, how many stocks do you own? And they're like, three. And they're like, what stocks? And I'm like, Berkshire, Hathaway, Costco, and you know, whatever. And you're like, wait, what? And they're like, yeah. And like, that's like my whole thing. You know, Bill Miller is uh, probably 70, 75% of his net worth is in Amazon. Right. And it has been for like a long time. So I, I think concentration is a big piece. But Julian, I think to your point, like, the dispassionate piece is definitely effective, especially when you have like a metrics based vertical like SaaS, right? Yeah. The metrics are the same in almost every business. It's very clear. You can almost like run them through uh, an algorithm to some degree and that, that can make the decisions. I think where it gets much harder is when, you know, Elon shows up and he's like, dude, I'm gonna like launch rockets and like land them. And you're like, uh, maybe, right? right? right and, yeah. and like he's probably not the first person to tell that story uh we just know his story because he's the one who actually did it and you know there's 20 other guys who took a bunch of money from people and it never works so i, I think SaaS is much more uh conducive to that type of investing versus you know consumer or anything else if elon came to you and was like i'm starting something I'm not gonna tell you what it is minimum investments a million bucks would you just throw the money in yes I, you would dude yeah, i would sure. not I think he's too crazy. Why? It's a no-brainer for me. <laughs> I, I I can't I, I can't stand his volatility. Like I I just can't it freaks me out that like if he's what do you think would happen to Tesla stock if he died? <laughs> Crash. Well, true, but also what happens to Tesla getting started if he doesn't step in? What happens to SpaceX, right? Like uh when I first started investing, every major mistake I made, it, it sounds actually a lot like Saks, like Oh my god this is an amazing like idea like this is going to be cool if i was running the business this is what we would we do a b c d and like it'd be amazing like the person ended up not thinking they were going to do the same thing and so they wanted to build like a different business or uh they ended up doing something different now i'm just such a believer that like if you bet on the right person it does not matter what else happens they'll just they'll figure it out um and you actually have to bet on like the really fucking crazy people like bezos is nut he's just as nuts he just doesn't yeah. do it on Twitter. But if he had a Twitter account he tweeted every day, we would be like, holy shit, that guy, like he was sending dick pics, right? Like, <laughs> you know, like right. I mean, like, like, he's just as crazy. It's just that he, he's uh, got a better PR team, I guess. The, the reason I would take the million dollars into Musk is because I know he wouldn't spend time starting a business unless it was a really good idea. He's not gonna waste his time. It's too precious to him. By the way, I've been seeing Neuralink, SpaceX, maybe the boring company. I've seen all three of his companies on like, like SPVs have come my way, like secondary opportunities and direct investment opportunities. Have you guys seen those? And would you ever, would you go in on any of those? So S SpaceX, uh, I've done a bunch of stuff in and around SpaceX over time, uh, all secondary SPV type stuff. If you just think of like the market opportunity, like mm. what's the market uh, of going to Mars? I don't fucking know, but it's like, a lot bigger than 76 billion, right? And then the other piece of it too, like SpaceX is really interesting because it's basically the AWS like tax on like the startup ecosystem where if 
you're going to create a business today, what do you do? You go spin up like AWS server and you know, they have this whole like thing and it's not even just startups, it's like the whole tech industry. Right now, if you wanna go to space, like Varda, right? I mean, they talked about it. Uh, Delian and all those guys are gonna create these space factories. They have to use SpaceX rocket launches. Like they literally have a tax on anyone who wants to go do anything in space because they have the cheapest uh, rocketry to get there. Uh, maybe that changes over time, but like that alone feels like that's like a trillion dollar, you know, type thing. Mm. For anyone who angel invests, do you count like uh, for your carry and also for the actual, your own money that you invest, do you actually count your angel investments as part of your net worth? Well, hold on. Before we answer that question, uh, I have a, like a, a Google doc, like an Excel file that every month I track bank balances, you know, crypto prices, like all that stuff. Uh, I'm interested in one, if you guys do it. And then two, if you yes. do, why? I have a Google sheet and I use this app called Tiller. It's a hundred dollars a year. And what it does is it pulls, automatically pulls your bank balances and all your, like, it, it's kind of like mint in that it like, you know, it's like plaid or whatever it is that attaches to everything, but then it just puts it straight into a Google sheet. Ah, and, Oh, this is pretty sweet. So you have like the Google Sheet and Excel optionality of like moving stuff around and doing f calculations, but you don't actually have, because like, you know, you have like probably 10, I, w I have like 20 accounts, like a, f yeah. a 401k, this, that thing, like all stupid shit. And uh, it automatically pulls it all, all in there. And I track it uh, weekly on Google Sheets. Mm. Yeah, I've never seen this before. This is actually pretty cool. Um, it's sick. Yeah. Does it work I, with I do the credit same cards? Yeah, yeah, it works for everything. So like my Fidelity account is in there. Like anything that Plaid does, it can pull into. So Fidelity accounts, you could do manual stuff. Um, all any pretty much any, uh, the most popular banks, Chase, Bank of America, all that. My four hundred one k is in there. Um, and then what you can do is you can put how you can put how many sh or you can put like how many shares that you because you can use Google Sheets to do like mm -hmm. equals finance and then the stock ticker multiplied by the amount of shares that you have. And so it makes it super easy to like, count everything. Interesting. So I do the same thing. I don't have all the bells and whistles that you have. So I'm going to be the next Tiller customer that you can think, Sam. Uh, but the reason I do it is like more directional. Like I don't care what the numbers are, right? It's just like, is this month higher than last month? Okay. Like we're, we're heading the right direction. Is the next month higher than, you know, this month, right? Because uh, to some degree, like I would go crazy we're like trying to optimize the number. Like I would literally go nuts, right? I would like turn into a game and next thing you know, I wouldn't be sleeping, whatever. So it's like, I've tried to convince myself that the number doesn't matter. It's just like, is it headed in the right direction? I think that's actually like where, where this all began. The reason I started doing investing and venture and crypto is as a kid, I just never cared about making any money. I really did not care. I just wanted to be creatively fulfilled and have enough to be comfortable. And then when I came to Silicon Valley, I said no to being employee 21 at Slack. I said no to being an early employee at Stripe. I literally walked away from my Webflow equity two months before because I just like, wanted to do other stuff. Uh, I didn't even bother to stay for the cliff. And like two years after all that, I'm like, fuck, that was like $100 million more. And uh, I was like, cool, I'm gonna learn from this. You should um, tell me where you wanna quit next. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I'm a little different than you guys in that I don't do almost any budgeting. And here's why. Almost my entire nest egg, like 99.99 whatever percent of my net worth is in Stripe stock. And I can't sell it because it's a private company. 
all I can do is just log into ShareWorks or whatever and watch it go up every year, which I'm fine with because my future is taken care of. And beyond that, for the present, I just try to spend as much money as I possibly can to maximize my present happiness, to make sure that this year is a good one, that this month is a good one. You, you don't, do you budget pomp? No, budgeting not as much, only from the sense of like, I mean, I have like a general idea. Uh, and I would say that the one thing that Julian said that uh, it kind of backs into his answer around budgeting is like, every time I make an investment, I literally say to myself, hey, I'm gonna hand this money to my grandkids. And what I mean by that is like, like the Bitcoin, like I'm never gonna use it, do anything. Like it's just, it was a pure investment. I just say to myself like, hey, I'm handing that to my grandkids, which like puts me at ease when it comes to uh, all the volatility. Like I literally don't care what, whatever, do whatever you want, go to a dollar, mm. fine, I'll buy more. Um, mm. But when it comes to budgeting, the only thing I care about is like, okay, I'm not eating into the cash that I have sitting there so that I could live for you know a certain period of time without needing uh, more cash so that I never have to actually tap into the investments because I have that like such a long time horizon. And uh, I, was, I forget what I was reading, but uh, uh, Buffett's whole thing is like never get in a position where you like basically you screw up the compounding yourself, right? Where you have to like, you're forced to sell things. Um, and so it's like funny how, you know, all these timeless like investing principles that people that we would probably laugh at a little bit and be like, oh, boomers don't understand technology. Like it's the same stuff, right? It's just now we're trading JPEGs on the internet versus the, he was <laughs> buying cash flowing businesses. Okay, question for all of you guys. What would you say are the smartest financial moves you've made in the past few years or that you're making right now? Well, Pomp actually just hit on something I'm trying to do right now. If I don't have the bandwidth to get very good at something or very knowledgeable about like an asset class, I'm trying to find people to do it for me and just charge carry. So I'm trying to find someone who actually like, let's say a 20 year old NFT nut who has their ear on Twitter and Discord and he's in all the Telegram groups. And I'll be like, hey, here's 30 grand. Uh, you'll get 20% carry. Go do, I trust you. Go buy a basket of NFTs, do your thing. So I'm doing, I want to do that for NFTs, which is the plan. I did that for crypto as well. I have one friend who knows all these weird long tail altcoins I've never heard of. I'm not gonna spend time on this shit. He does. So I'm like, cool, here's 60 grand. Go have fun. It's okay if you lose it. Uh, hopefully you don't. So that's probably been the smartest thing I've done lately is stop trying to be an expert in everything. The only thing I'm trying to be an expert in is venture, essentially. I think that you guys are all on drugs or crazy. <laughs> like the idea of giving a rate up like for someone to do the NFT stuff for 60, 60K, I think that that is fucking nuts. Like, I think that is, you're on drugs. I, I like, I, that's, it's called Vanguard, okay? It's called the Vanguard Total Index Fund. <laughs> Just do that. Like, I, I think 14% a year will, well, to quote Pomp, I don't do public math, but I think that's five, I think it's that that's, uh, that like it doubles, it doubles every five years, right? Because seven and a half percent doubles every ten years, so uh, I think that that's so. Like, wh why don't you just instead of like doing that shit, why don't you just do this other thing? <laughs> so okay, I'm seeking anomalies. I'm seeking really high spiky returns. Um, and it's funny because we, we're in a I'm in a chat group with Sam, and Sam's podcast co-host Sean was like, "Yo, I'm giving this like young cool dude who knows his shit like 20k to go play around." And Sam's like, "Are you dumb?" <laughs> and so I, I remember I knew you I knew this was coming. But um uh that's only going to happen in a situation where I think they could 20x uh with a but likelihood. But you're already doing that with venture. True, but the liquidity 
on crypto, NFTs, let's just say, is it's there. And on this venture shit, like I'm not getting returns for 10 years. I, I think that's a big piece of it too. It's just like you have 30, 40, maybe 50 years. Like one argument is sure, compound at the 14%. The other argument is that's actually eight or 9% real rate of return since CPI's at 5.4%. And yeah. outside of the stock market, almost every other asset is a negative real rate return, right? Bonds, you know, you just go through the whole thing. Um, and so you could buy stocks for sure. But other than that, what are you gonna buy? Like, like there's not that much to buy, right? So Bitcoin's compounded annually at 200% <laughs> for a decade. Wow. Look, for I'm a not decade. saying don't do that. For I'm a decade, Sam. <laughs> look, I, look, I'm on board. I'm on board. I, and, and, and Pomp, that's your game. That's what you've been studying now for years and years and years. Yeah, of course. I'm just saying like how, if you're, if you're gonna go hard on something, go hard on something. But I, I think that it's crazy when I've got friends, Sean is one of them. Sean is one of my best friends. And, I'll, and I've said this to him before. He goes hard on everything. So like there's right. nothing that's safe or, you know, that I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like that in our little internet bubble and this little group chat we're in, it seems like everyone's going hard on everything. And I'm just like, right. that's crazy. That's just what like, happens when you get nuts. a bunch of guys in a chat room talking about money. <laughs> yeah. But, but it's also, but, but it's also structural, right? Like, like they basically have flooded the market with cash. They being uh, the Fed, the Treasury, the uh, fiscal policy, like all that stuff. They flood the market with cheap capital. Interest rates at zero. You know, here's trillions of dollars that they print. And what they essentially have done is they've arbed out all of the traditional returns. Like 60-40 portfolio for decades was the, you know, pristine. This is what you're supposed to do. You literally are losing money on 40% of your portfolio if you do that today. Right. And so it's like completely push people out on the risk curve. And then all of a sudden you overlay that with uh, stocks are up 30%. And like, I've got a 25 year old brother. He literally is like, dude, there's not a kid I know who's putting a dollar in anything unless they think 10X in a year. And like, mm -hmm. that's crazy to the legacy investors. And then I ask him, like, how many of them are doing it? And he's like, all of them. Right. And like wow. that probably ends at some point, but like, you know, they just bought Ether, they bought Bitcoin, or they bought a NFT, or they bought, you know, uh, one of my brothers bought Roku stock and it went up 10x and he's like bragging about it. And people are DMing him saying 10x is baby shit. Like, I mean, it's like, like, like what world are we living in? Right. It's like, this is not normal, right. but. Well, it's because we're all You're just crazy and sharing stories of the craziest people. But, That's but I will say, crazy people, it often seems, are the ones who have like crazy returns. Um, I, and 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 so I'm just not looking for crazy returns with everything. How do you guys think of cash positions uh, in terms of like percentage of uh, either net worth or portfolio? Do you have like a hey I try to target five percent cash or ten percent or two percent? Like is there a framework that you use to think of like actual liquid U.S. dollar cash? Not hey I have the S and P and I could sell it but like actual cash. I have, I just looked, I've got $267,000 in a checking account right now. That's how much cash I have. And I, and that's over two years of expenses. And that's all your cash altogether. Um, it, well, a lot of, some people will call bonds light cash. Mm. I could, I, I can right. click a button and get I can it. get a whole lot, but I currently right. have 267. I just logged into my chase account. We don't have a savings account. We just use a checking account and then we spend all of our stuff on 
credit card, mostly on credit card, and I have $250,000. And so uh, that's, that's what we have. The idea that checking and savings is different in today's environment is like comical. Like <laughs> your checking and your savings is the same. So I do the exact same thing. Like there's no savings account. Like that, I think that whole idea is like pretty much left uh, for an in-generation. Um, yeah, I was actually just in Atlanta visiting some friends and I saw some family while I was there, my mom and other people from my parents' generation. And they give like very antiquated financial advice. They're talking about going to college and getting a really good stable job and saving up to buy a home and they're celebrating like penny pinching essentially and of course like none of them are rich and when i talked to my friends in silicon valley many of whom are fabulously wealthy they're talking about compounding your money and investing or owning in a piece of a business and you know most of them are not buying homes or renting and it's just a completely different outlook can, can i ask a question real quick what do they all share that knowledge with each other yeah, they share like, knowledge. You, they have the same like your financial mom and advisors. Their, they read the yeah, same Yeah, your books. mom and their friends all like kind of share back and forth. And are they all like 50 plus or older? Yep, early right? 60s. So my theory is that it was actually very sound financial advice 50, 60 years ago. Like their parents could save their way to financial security and they probably did right over the lifetime. Mm -hmm. uh, also like buying a house was like a great idea, like all these things. Mm. Today that advice actually is bad. And it's like yeah. the, uh, the uh, what do they call it? Like the folklore, right? Or like the thing that like gets passed yeah. down from generation to generation. <laughs> They're just telling you like what their parents told them. And it was actually right. good advice then. Now, you know, as you, you know, as you alluded to, like it, it's really, really hard to do that, I guess. But the, the advice, Pomp, you're mentioning like the folklore. I think putting people, putting themselves in debt is, it's like indoctrinated. Like our parents are still telling us we should go to college. Obviously there are cheaper college alternatives. I would do that. Or Counterpoint, you're totally wrong. <laughs> because dude getting going I, like i can't i i love this when people say that everything you said yeah i agree with you but that's not the point you go to college for probably two or three reasons but if you if you can go to school at a top 20 university and mm -hmm. you have to go go into 100 percent of debt which is how much does uh stanford cost i don't even know probably, 65 thousand yeah. dollars a year seventy thousand dollars a year so four times so you get let's say three hundred thousand dollars after four years of debt 100% worth it. Debt graduating with debt from a top 20 graduating from no debt way. from a top 20 university 100% worth it. Graduating from debt with a non top 20 university not worth it at all. <laughs> Dude, have you ever met someone who went to Penn or Harvard? Wait, Cortland, didn't you? I went to MIT. And I okay. don't I disagree with you. I don't think what? it's worth going into a lot Cortland. of debt. <laughs> I disagree completely. Are, yeah. Having MIT on your resume, you will get an interview. Like, I get it. Like, everyone here is a little bit out of the ordinary. But for the average Joe, if you can get an MIT and you have to go in debt, that's a no brainer. You always take that. But you are you better? That. Are you better getting accepted than just dropping out and saying you're an MIT dropout and not getting the debt and just saying that you were the dropout? Yeah, if you want to be like homies with Peter Thiel, yes. Or if you want to go start a company, if you just want to go work at Facebook and make a quarter of a million dollars a year and rest, invest, and chill and have a and go play softball at four o'clock on the on the weeknight, yeah, I'd say go to MIT, get the degree. Uh, it's definitely worth the debt. It's definitely worth like meeting like some senator's like son or something like that. Mm -hmm. It's worth like the crew that it, like it's worth <laughs> going and like you go like do you know does does Facebook ever recruit from Belmont University where I went where it cost fifty thousand dollars a year? Not a chance. I don't even know what Facebook was. I thought why do they need five thousand dollars or five thousand people to run a website? Okay, like it's just a web page. You but don't need five thousand people. But they're outside of Penn. So is McKinsey. So is Goldman. If you want to get paid when you're twenty one years old graduate with that it's debt selection if, bias, if you can go to a saying. top 20 university 
That, that should be that. That's the quote. That, that's the quote I'll give you for this episode. It's graduate with that debt, Sam. Park. It's totally worth. I think it's selection bias, though, Sam. I think yes, they're already selection bias. I think they're the already university. smart, ambitious people to get into these universities in the first place. That's and if the you're point. one of these people, like that's the you don't point. need the debt. Like you could just go get one of these jobs. Like you don't need oh fifty thousand dollars in debt. Well, okay, it, it's a, it's very much a it's very much a job by job thing. If you're in if you're starting a startup, you don't have. How to. many people are if doing that? Uh, we're, we we can't we. We can't sit around a, like a circle and just sniff our own farts the whole time. Like we have to be like constructive. The average show should definitely go if they can to a top twenty university. Right. Totally worth it. Also, you know right. else who can't get online on YouTube, doing drugs, getting drunk with your friends, like doing yeah, all course. this amazing stuff, trying on different personalities. Right. It, 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 I think it's totally worth it if you can get into a top twenty university. I've, Am I crazy? Am I the only one here who thinks this? Okay, I've got four good things that I got from college. Number one, I got twenty plus close friends that I'm gonna have for the rest of my life. I'm always gonna be friends with them and they're always gonna be friends with each other and that's awesome. Number two, because I was at MIT, I met a couple of really smart people who pushed me to do ambitious things. They were like, hey, you can start that startup and I never would have done it otherwise. Number three, I got a degree that makes people think that I'm smart before they've even met me. And then number four, it changed my self-image from lazy to hardworking because it would have been so embarrassing to get kicked out of MIT that I had no other choice than to work super hard and graduate. And by the end of it, I actually was just a hard worker. So how could you tell me that MIT was not Wait, worth it? Wait, you got... Well, it was worth it for me because I barely had like $10,000 in student loans after four years. It would have been worth yeah. it if it was worth $250,000. Am I the... Pomp, do you not... You, you don't see... You don't, you're not going to tell your kids that if they get into Harvard, they're going? There's a 0% chance I'd send them. But I have a very... What? I have a very, very, very different reason for not wanting to send uh, send them has nothing to do with the education. It has nothing to do with uh, the debt. I don't think you can be an independent thinker and go to Stanford, MIT, Harvard, etc. Like, I think there's something um, conformist at this point of like going. I don't think that was true 10, 15 years ago. Like it was very kind of aspirational and it was hard to get into, etc. I think it's just become this game of like, the person who's willing to jump through all the hoops they get in. But like, are you really going to be like a first principled independent thinker going there? I don't know. I, I didn't go. So I can't like fully comment. Right. But it's like, do you like doctors? I, I mean, look, well, doctors, lawyers, <laughs> I mean, look, there's some professions for sure. You're going to have to still go to college. And that's my point, which is most smart people. They want to get a really good paying job. They want to get off work at four thirty or five. They want to have three kids and they want like a pretty nice, easy life. And that's wonderful. If you could, and if that is the case, and you could just jump through the hoops, I say do that if that's what you want. And I think that's what most people want. I don't think most people want to do this really risky shit. And if you do want to do that risky shit, mm. then just bail and just get to it right away. I see what you're saying. Okay, so going back to the, if you were starting from 10,000 bucks or something, I know you know where this is going. And you had a year to turn it into millions. Like, what would be your play? And you're willing to lose it all. It's obviously something in crypto. No, I wouldn't invest it. I, I would. Uh, I would leverage it into building a, a business. It's way. It's way easier to drive millions of dollars of revenue in the first year of a business, I think, than to turn 10k into a couple million dollars from an investment standpoint. I mean, you you basically have to pick one of, if not the best investment of a single year. Uh, it's possible, but I think it'd be much easier to drive a million dollars in revenue for a business than uh, to pick an investment that could do that. What would you start? I mean, this is going to sound super dumb to people who uh, come from a 
a different mindset maybe, but like a million dollars in a year, I really don't think is that crazy for like, you could go wash cars. I mean, you'd have to work your ass off, right? But like, you just start doing the math. It's like, all right, how many cars can I wash in a day? You know, if I work six days a week, but like you could just back into it. Like you probably can make a million bucks washing cars. You know what I would do? I would take the 10K, I would buy a few courses, like teach myself introductory engineering, teach myself marketing, whatever. That's where the money would go. Then I would go talk to a bunch of investors in tech and say, who are the fastest growing startups? Like consensus rocket ships, like early days of Stripe. I would go and join them, uh, use that knowledge I just gained from these courses, get some entry-level position, get my equity, and that's what I would do. But I want to be very clear, though, not jump and join a startup. Join like Stripe and it was like 150 people, where it's it's taking off. Um, but also, I'm biased because I failed to do that, <laughs> and I wish I had. So it's kind of where I'm coming from, <laughs> Yeah, to be I'm, honest. Corlin, what would you do? Well, Corlin, Corlin did exactly this. He sold his startup to Stripe. I don't know if you report how much you have in Stripe stock, but it's a lot. Yeah, and starting a company isn't easy. I mean, I started one and sold it after nine months, sure, but I had seven years of failed startups before that. But I would still do what Pomp is saying. I would take that 10 grand and I would invest it in myself. I would rather start my own business than invest in somebody else's business. And then I would just do something that focused entirely on hustle rather than trying to be too clever or too smart. So, for example, I talked to the founders of Retool. They were doing something like $500,000 in revenue after a year or two with just the founders, and they only had like 20 customers because they hustled so hard that every single conversation, they just raised their prices and raised their prices until their average customer was paying them like 25 grand a year. So I would find something where I could do that with sales, something where like the average revenue per customer is super high, like something like startup right. recruiting. You know, like I'm going to go out and I'm going to be the best person on earth at helping startups hire engineers, and I'm going to charge bank, and I'm going to make a million after a couple of years. So there's an important point you're making there, which is you're choosing an idea where the product and market are de-risked. You're saying, what is something yeah. people are already buying where my edge is the ability to hustle? And that resonates with me. I, I agree with that. As opposed to starting some fanciful, you know, metaverse company where you're like, who knows if this will work. If I was 21 years old with, with $10,000, I think I could pretty much crush it by going on Yelp, seeing which company like which category of service had the most amount of reviews but some of the lowest ratings um i would just start something like that like i think that you could like i paid someone the other day 80 dollars an hour or maybe 50 dollars an hour just to do power washing at my house so like i think that you could pretty much crush it doing something like that and then hire someone for 20 dollars an hour and then bill them out for 50 dollars an hour something like that i think you could pretty much crush you know it this, doing that. you know what this reminds me of i knew a guy when i was a teenager who would read the obituaries and then go to the houses of people who had died, like their families, and say, hey, do you want me to repaint the room to kind of get the bad mojo away? Dude, the other day I had to cancel a ticket. In order to cancel a ticket, one of the ways in which they'll give you their money back is if you have a death in the family and they need an obituary. And like, what's an obituary? I mean, it's just like a picture with someone's, with just like some words typed up. And like you just submit, you just submit that in order to get your a refund, because it's not like they're gonna like check to see. Oh and so you God. could just <laughs> hypothetically, you could just make an obituary. Or the second thing that you could do is just find like you can go to obituary.com and like create an obituary right. for like ten dollars, like if you really wanted to. Or the second thing that you could do is just find someone with your last name that's died recently. Sam, are you killing <laughs> fake people? Dude, it's crazy. Yeah. I wanted to cancel a ticket to Italy for like in two weeks and like the government's shutting down and I'm like, hey, let me just like get a refund and I'll buy a ticket later. And they're like, 
well, you can't. I'm like, well, what are the loopholes here? Like, just tell me how I get this. And like, well, if someone died recently. <laughs> there are all these enterprise companies like airlines who have all these databases of intel on their customers. And a bunch of them think Sam has like 12 dead brothers. They have this totally <laughs> wrong picture of your social life, your family life. <laughs> It's just it was it was nonsense. Like the 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 EU said, we we encourage you not to travel here. Yeah. I, I gotta I gotta yeah, run. We're guys. Done, oh, yeah, we're, we're done. Yeah, we're done recording. I'll talk to you guys soon. Cortland, Julian, thank All you. Right. Thanks a ton, Sam. If you'd like to learn more about Anthony Pompliano or Sam Parr, you can find them on Twitter at a Pompliano and at the Sam Parr.